This call is being recorded. We have left, we want to have just an off-the-cuff chat between you and me, us. We want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. young men have something in common they wanted to kill lots of people they wanted to commit mass murders and they were angry young white men and i watched uh many of the newscasters uh talk about that we have a problem in america now with young white males that problem has always existed uh if you look back through the course of american history most of the mass murders committed in the united states of america were by angry young white men. There have been American, a million Americans have died in the last, uh, since the 60s till now, and most of them have been behind angry white males. Now, they enjoy special dispensation. Now, black people, uh, they can castigate whole groups of them, and they can call it black-on-black crime. Matter of fact, if somebody shoots somebody, if a policeman shoots somebody in Sacramento, as has happened, they'll point to the phenomenon of black-on-black crime. They don't mind castigating whole areas. So one person does anything, it really is all of them, right? There are millions, there are thousands of people in cages right now because somebody said that they were murderers and rapists and coming here and they kill us and they take our jobs. Matter of fact, that you would believe that all of the children that are with them are really small MS, MS-16 members. They're all gang members, right? So they don't have a problem castigating them all. Uh, there are 19 Muslims committed 9-11 they believe billions of people of a religion are all terrorists, right? What this special group of people gets, this four has in common with a long list of people who committed mass murders, is they get to be called individuals. They're lone wolves. They're mentally impaired. They're acting on their own. If you look back at the history of what has happened, not just in this country, but all around the world, there have been violent acts of mass murder by young white males, and they're excused away. That is not to say that other people don't have these problems, but it is to say that it's never called the same thing with it. They are individuals. They are lone wolves. They're mentally impaired right now. Look at the most heinous acts in our history. Thousands of people killed because they were angry that you owned a home. Uh, like it happened in Ro Rosewood or what happened on Black Wall Street. There were thousands of people beheaded and murdered and lynched. We're talking about babies cut out of pregnancy women's uh, stomachs. We're talking about babies uses alligator bait. 
thousands and thousands of times in incidents in the country perpetrated by people who are angry, very angry white men, angry all the time. Matter of fact, the young man who, who perpetrated the Oklahoma City bombing, what did he do? He parked the van where? In front of a nursery. And they get to call them individuals. By calling them individuals, you never have to deal with what's going on. And they were, they've been angry all the time. Even when they were in trouble, what are you so angry about that you have to kill all these people? What are you so angry about that so many people need to die? Why, why has your anger boiled to this point and it's costing people lives? Even according to the FBI right now, the most dangerous thing in America right now is domestic terrorists. Who are who? Angry young white men. Everybody else, if it were any other group of people that had committed crimes like this historically and continue to do, they would do something about it and they would call them something. They have no problem facing and calling people what they believe they are. This is black on black crime. This is terrorism. These are people who are immigrants. They're infesting us. But everybody else is called something and not these people who have become a scourge. Right now in America, right now, we have people who are children who are carrying bulletproof backpacks. We have teachers who are given guns. We have people discussing, uh, let's having uh, uh, people with guns in our churches, in our parks, in our movie theaters. Why? Why? Do they believe that robes of gangs are going to come from Chicago? They believe that MS-13 uh, is going to climb the borders? Do they believe that Muslims are going to? No. They, are, they know, They understand how dangerous, angry, young white males are. And they understand that no one has ever called them that or told them that or had to deal with that. You know what happens? To, to, to when, when, when there's a problem in our community? When there's a problem in black communities or communities of color, they have no problem blaming the parents of those people. Either is ha- because the, the, the father was absent or single mothers. They have no problem blaming our failings of our communities on our parents. Never. They never have a problem saying it's because he didn't have a, p- a father, his father abandoned him, this uh, single mothers were, when will America's parents be held responsible for raising mass murders like black men and women are for raising thugs? That's a little note from the GED section. Well, howdy there, Internet people. It's Bo again. So the Chinese hit us with tariffs on another $75 billion or something like that. The president's response was to order, order American companies to look for an alternative to China order everything inside the state the blending of corporate and government interests if only there was a term for this form of government his exact words what he said was our great american companies are hereby ordered to immediately start looking for an alternative to china including bringing your companies home all capital letters and making your products in the u.s That's not going to happen. They're going to go to Vietnam or another similar country. They're not going to bring them back here. And even production facilities to get moved to the United States, it's not going to bring back the jobs the way people think. This isn't the 1940s. Factories are not hundreds of people standing in a line working on on a conveyor belt. That's not what happens anymore. It's automated. Those jobs are gone. In the United States, those jobs are gone. Automation is cheaper than people, and it's more reliable. This is like having a campaign to bring back switchboard operators. Technology eliminated those jobs. Yes, they use them over there. Why? Because over there, people are cheaper than automation. It's not true here. It's not true here. 
The other thing this order represents is that it signifies the U.S. loss of this trade war that was going to be so easy to win. Trump isn't getting what he wants, so he's taking his ball, or more accurately, the balls of American corporations, and going home or to Vietnam. That's what's happening. You know, he's sitting there saying, we don't need the Chinese. They're our largest trading partner. They are our largest trading partner. This move increases the chance of recession, will increase income inequality. Income inequality and poverty are the two most visible symbols of the fact that we need a new system here. We need a new system, one that isn't built on human exploitation. We're so wrapped up in the idea of winners or losers. You know, people are running around, well, China's economy is getting more powerful. It one day it might match ours. The country with four times our population might have as much economic activity. Well, color me shocked. Of course it will. That's going to happen. And if we shut them out, well, we're not going to be having a cut of their economic activity. We are losing our largest trading partner for no reason. And the president sat there and needed a scapegoat. So he wondered aloud if Jay Powell was a bigger enemy than China, chairman of the Federal Reserve. Eh, maybe, maybe he is. Um, who nominated him? Who put him in that position? President Trump. But his base is so willfully ignorant, they won't know that. So he's the perfect scapegoat. Perfect scapegoat. You know, I am not, uh, I'm not a socialist. I'm not. But I saw that game, Socialist Monopoly or whatever. And it's funny. It cracked me up. Because the first time I played Monopoly with my boys, they loved it. They loved it. Rolling the dice, building the houses and the hotels, building their little empires. And when one of them ran out of money, the other ones voluntarily gave them cash. Because they wanted to continue to enjoy it. And everybody stayed in the game. Everybody stayed in the game through voluntary means. Because people did what was right. Cooperation over competition. What happened? And what happens when a bunch of young kids normally play Monopoly? What's the normal outcome? Somebody starts to get ahead. And they start mocking the other players. And then uh, literal upheaval. Somebody gets you mad, want support, Roland Martin. flips over the board. It's funny because in that way, Monopoly is a perfect, perfect uh, example of our current system and the system that has been retried. System based on the exploitation of humans. Because that's what happens. 
people get so far ahead that they start mocking those in poverty and then upheaval the pitchforks come out happened in france it happened in russia and it will happen here if we do not build a society that is more equitable that is more fair a society in which everybody can stay in the game you know and people like to point to that as uh you know, this is how America should work. And that's all fine and good, but that's not how it works. See, at the beginning of that game, everybody starts off equal. That's not how it works in real life. In real life, somebody starts off with a whole lot more. And they can use that to keep everybody else down. Anyway, it's just a thought. Y'all have a good day. I have been fascinated with the U.S. Calling all youth basketball coaches like uh, no other time before. Let me ask you an honest question. Does anybody ever watch men's tennis anymore? (laughs) Not really. (laughs) Women's tennis is so exciting and so accessible to the world. And I can't tell you how exciting it is to me to see brown girl after brown girl after brown girl compete for the world to see. I watched Naomi Osaka and Coco Gauff play. Now, Naomi quickly dispatched her. But the thing she did, which was so humane and so wonderful, was to extend to her something that very few vanquished opponents get, dignity. She said, you know what? People need to hear from you. People need to know. That was black girl magic at its best. Because remember, a year or two earlier, she had dispatched Serena Williams, and she got booed for just doing what she trained to do. When you look around and you see all of these beautiful black women, beautiful black girls who are playing a sport they were denied for decades and now they're dominating and they're being uh, dignified and humane and true champion, it makes you really believe in black girl magic. Venus and Serena have changed the sport forever. I guarantee you that every young black girl who picks up a racket looks at them. They have changed it. Venus is one of the finest female tennis players to ever play. Serena is arguably among the greatest athletes who ever did anything. When you look around, you see them elevate a sport in a way that they were traditionally not able to, and it is mesmerizing to see. You see them changing ideas and hearts and minds. I remember Serena and Venus used to get booed all the time, and now they're the biggest draws. And those young girls were motivated by seeing them. It truly is a stark example of black girl magic. You know what you don't remember? If you are giving credit to Venus and Serena for changing a sport, which obviously they did, for dominating a sport, which obviously they did, you have to give credit to their father. Their father, Richard Williams. If you're going to talk about black girl magic, you got to talk about black father magic. When you see those young black girls playing in those stands, uh, playing on that court, who do they look at? Their fathers and their fathers learned a lot from Richard Williams. We can talk about what he's done and who he's been. He believed in them when they didn't. He believed in them when they couldn't see. I remember him doing an interview and he talked about how great and dominant Venus was. He said, but that Serena, she's going to be it. He, he saw in them what no one else did. And people thought he was crazy. It must have been pra- crazy playing on courts in Compton with glass everywhere. Can you imagine what he was able to see in them that no one else did? And now 
Every time you see a stand, you see those young black girls, you look and you'll see a father, a black father. It is a sport that if you saw that many black people, somebody generally was cleaning up somewhere. But now they are the center stage. And black girl magic is on full display for the world to see. And so is black father. Because you can't have black girl magic with a little black, without a little black daddy magic. Richard Williams changed those girls. Those girls changed the, 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 their world. And, they, and those girls who follow behind them will do it further. But you can never forget, they had somebody who covered them, who believed in them, who protected them, who nurtured them, who pushed them, who gave them access and made them believe in things. And nothing is more black or magic than that. That's a little note from the GED section. We equally reject attempts to prescribe new rights that are contrary to our values, norms, traditions, and beliefs. We are not gays. Cooperation and respect for each other will advance the cause of human rights worldwide. Confrontation, vilification, and double standards will not. Mr. President, self-determination and independence are intrinsic and fundamental rights that should be enjoyed by all peoples everywhere without distinction. We are deeply concerned by the continued denial of this basic right to the Sahara, Sahara, Saharawi people. We urge the United Nations to expeditiously finalize what must be done to conclude the decolonization of the Western Sahara. We equally reject attempts to prescribe new rights that are contrary to our values, norms, traditions, and beliefs. We are not gays. Cooperation and respect for each other will advance the cause of human rights worldwide. Confrontation, vilification, and double standards will not. Mr. President, self-determination and independence are intrinsic and fundamental rights that should be enjoyed by all peoples everywhere without distinction. We are deeply concerned by the continued denial of this basic right to the Sahara, Sahara, Saharawi people. We urge the United Nations to expeditiously finalize what must be done to conclude the decolonization of the Western Sahara. You want to support Roller Martin Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roller Martin Unfiltered by going to RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. You can make this possible. <laughs> All right, y'all. I saw this video here, so I got a couple more. I saw this video here, and every white person should absolutely positively in fact i want all y'all to download this video and send this to all of your white friends monique the san francisco board of watch this video
Why did you call my name? Hi, fellow white people. Are you having a sad because that family's enjoying a picnic in the park while being black? Did that customer in front of you just speak a language that makes you irrationally angry? Well, this is a great time to try. Mind your own f***ing business. With Mind Your Own F***ing Business, you'll be able to grow the f*** up and act like a decent f***ing human being. Our patented technology allows you to pull your head out of your ass and see the world beyond the brim of your MAGA hat. Hi, honey. I saw some black people at the Starbucks today. Did you mind your own f***ing business? I sure f***ing did. <laughs> Stop bothering those nice people today with Mind Your Own F***ing Business. Side effects may include not harassing people, no one getting arrested or murdered by police, a general sense of well-being for people of color, a lack of internet fame, and or trolling and coexistence. Please consult your doctor if you are still a piece of shit after minding your own f***ing business, as the symptoms may be a result of a deeper problem and require further treatment. Now available at Anthropology and Whole Foods. Love it! <laughs> Love it! As Monique is giving you the side eye. I don't care. <laughs> Way to go, Cat Adele. Love it. Next time, y'all, run the one with no bleeps. Mind your own fucking business. That's a great product. So all of you, if you're looking for a Christmas gift for all of your white friends, give them this video as a gift. All right, folks, back to that whole Mark Unfiltered video in just one moment. All right, folks, you heard me talk a lot about MarijuanaStock.org. Why? Because I want to keep you informed of investment opportunities that make sense. We've all watched the growth of the cannabis industry. A recent report by New Frontier Data estimates the global cannabis market at over $340 billion. We know that marijuana legalization is sweeping the country state by state. We also know that marijuana has a good cousin, the hemp plant, with a much higher concentration of CBD. That means hemp gives you all the medical benefits of marijuana without getting you high. Until recently, hemp farming was practically illegal in the U.S. and heavily regulated by the DEA, but that all changed with the 2018 Farm Bill, making it legal to grow hemp CBD in the U.S., creating one of the largest commodities worldwide. Folks, they need land to grow all of the plants, and that's why this incredible investment opportunity uh, is before you, courtesy of our good friends at 420 Real Estate. Their business model is real simple. They buy land that supports hemp CBD grow operations and lease it to licensed high-paying tenants. That's right. They are hemp CBD landlords, and you can get in on the action. My friends at 420 Real Estate decided to do something special for the Roland Martin Unfiltered family. Originally, the minimum investment level was 500 bucks, but you can invest in this crowdfunding campaign for as little as $200. That's right. 200 bucks up to $10,000. This is a way for you to get involved in a $340 billion industry that is still growing. To invest, go to MarijuanaStock.org. That's MarijuanaStock.org. When you go there, it's going to take you to a, actually a crowdfunding page for this campaign. So uh, don't get a too alarmed by it. Now back to your Roland Martin Unfiltered video. The San Francisco Board of Supervisors has voted unanimously to declare the NRA a terrorist organization. Now, this is a symbolic vote. Uh, but the whole point of this is to pressure businesses to no longer do business with the NRA. I want to give you the details on what they're hoping to accomplish. Uh, the resolution, which passed unanimously Tuesday night, claims the NRA promotes extremist positions, spreads propaganda to deceive the American public about gun violence, incites gun owners to act of violence, and has armed those individuals who would have committed acts of terrorism. It calls for the city and county to take every responsible, or I should say reasonable step to limit San Francisco's financial and contractual relationships with vendors who do business with the NRA. But the resolution does not, for example, carry 
the law enforcement implications of uh, designation as a foreign terrorist organization. So this is again symbolic, but the NRA is upset about it. Now, before I get to the NRA statements, I just wanna show you a little piece of evidence that might uh, have persuaded the Board of Supervisors to vote in the way that they did. Take a look. They use their media to assassinate real news. They use their schools to teach children that their president is another Hitler. They use their movie stars and singers and comedy shows and award shows to repeat their narrative over and over again. And then they use their ex-president to endorse the resistance, all to make them march, make them protest, make them scream racism and sexism and xenophobia and homophobia, to smash windows, burn cars, shut down interstates and airports, bully and terrorize the law abiding until the only option left is for the police to do their jobs and stop the madness. And when that happens, they'll use it as an excuse for their outrage. The only way we stop this, the only way we save our country and our freedom is to fight this violence of lies with the clenched fist of truth. The clenched fist of ISIS, I mean NRA, sorry, NRA. So she showed images, I mean, that's an NRA ad. And I remember when it came out, we talked about it on the show, but she's showing images of people protesting, which is, by the way, protected under our constitution, yep. right? But that's not part of the constitution the NRA really cares about. I mean, they'll say the second amendment is meant to protect the first, but they don't actually mean it. So anyway, um, I wanna give you the statement from the NRA and then debunk what they're saying, because of course they lie. Uh, so NRA spokeswoman Amy Hunter called the resolution a worthless and disgusting soundbite remedy to the violence epidemic gripping our nation. Because the NRA is so concerned about that violence epidemic. I mean, uh, they if they they're thinking if we could just increase gun sales just a little bit more, right, and get that epidemic a little higher, well, then we'll make more money. She continues to say, uh, this is a reckless assault on a law-abiding organization, its members, and the freedoms they all stand for. Well, let's talk about whether or not the NRA is law-abiding. Because I remember earlier this year, there was a story that broke about the NRA not following the law. In May, New York financial regulators determined that the NRA was illegally selling insurance policies to gun owners that protected them from court costs after they fired weapons in acts of intentional wrongdoing. Just to give you some more details what on this. What happened to the good guys with the guns? That looks like you're defending the bad guys with the guns who yep. intentionally did wrongdoing with their guns. Because what, what do you care? You just wanna make money off of guns. So people die, great, who cares, let's make more money. Yeah, which is illegal, so you guys aren't law abiding. Uh, the NRA, this is according to Tim Dicker, uh, Dickinson from uh, Rolling Stone. The NRA actively marketed CarryGuard, a policy to reimburse members for legal costs incurred after firing a legal gun. The state of New York found that CarryGuard unlawfully provided liability insurance to gun owners for certain acts of intentional wrongdoing. The NRA's insurance partners agreed to stop selling the policies and pay a $7 million fine. Hmm. Yeah, uh, would that policy still apply if they shot cops? Because they're saying, hey, I'm gonna defend you even if you do intentional wrongdoing of firing your weapon. So yeah. that could certainly be against the cop too. Uh, but the NRA is like, oh my God, the liberals are protesting. We have to have our clenched fists against them. It's our only choice. 
I know, Al-Qaeda says the same thing. Anyway, uh, so look, uh, is the NRA an actual domestic terrorist organization? No, okay, so uh, they, they are not planning acts of terror, they're not carrying them out. Uh, are, are, do we have stochastic terrorism uh, in the country, random acts of violence committed that terrorize the country? Uh, aided and abetted and encouraged by the right wing, Donald Trump and NRA, yes. Okay, but nobody's gonna charge them with a crime of terrorism. The crime of domestic terrorism doesn't even exist. So, but the first part of what the San Francisco Board of Supervisors said is absolutely right. Quote, this country uh, aided and abetted and encouraged by the right wing, Donald Trump and NRA, yes. Okay, but nobody's gonna charge them with a crime of terrorism. The crime of domestic terrorism doesn't even exist. So, but the first part of what the San Francisco Board of Supervisors said is absolutely right. Quote, this country is terrorized by gun violence. Yes. We all are, we're all worried about our kids, we're worried about the schools, the malls, the Walmarts, the movie theaters, we're all terrorized by this more than anything else in the country. I do wanna also read one more quote, and this is from a member of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Her name is Catherine Estefani, and she says, quote, Every country on earth has video games, movies, and mental health issues. And yet only the United States has gun violence at elementary schools, at the movies, at Walmart. The difference is guns. No other country has so many assault rifles on their streets. I know that's a point that we've made on this show often, but I think it's important to keep reiterating that because on one hand you have them claiming, oh, it's, the, it's a mental health issue, it's a mental health crisis. But then they never do anything about the mental health crisis that they claim is leading to all these mass shootings. They never wanna fund it, they just use mental health as the scapegoat to divert the conversation. Um, and at the same time, look, there are mental health issues in all these other countries, but they don't have the same issues that we do. I wanna give you one stat about uh, uh, video games. So uh, no country on earth spends more on video games per capita than Japan, okay? But Japan has very strict gun control. So in America, how many gun deaths are there every year? About 40,000. Now, how many are in Japan? They play more video games, under 10 per year. Well, you know, I remember I sent you this article. We actually, uh, we posted it up. Well, let me go ahead and just pull it up. Uh, hold on a second. So there was a new, a really big extended scientific study that confirmed that there is no gay gene, that genes cannot predict sexuality. Meaning that they, you know, analyzed a ton of gay people, a ton of straight people and looked at them genetically and saw absolutely no difference between any of these people. Male, female, black, white, Spanish, Asian, Indian, whatever, they could not consistently say, hey, you genetically came out of your mother liking the same sex. Right. You can't say basically that you were born gay. Yes, you came upset out. a lot of people. Huh? You know, upset a lot of people. I remember even right. on my Twitter timeline, like people were like arguing. There's this one like young uh, white gay kid who's like, you know, I didn't choose my sexuality. Who, who would choose to, to you know, to be uh, persecuted the way I've been? I, you hate know, they, this is I hate when they say that because 
We make negative choices every fucking day. We make negative choices that are adver- that are adverse to our health, to our well-being. We do it all the time. Why would anybody smoke cigarettes when they know you could get cancer or, or, or lung damage or anything like that? Why would you drink soda when you know that you can be obese and all of this other type of shit? So don't mm-hmm. fucking use that as an excuse. Why would I do something that I know might hurt me or, or bring some sort of negativity to my life because people do it all the time. People do negative shit all the time, sometimes just for attention. Okay. So throw that fucking argument out the fucking window. Um, why would you do it? Because there's a lot of different reasons why you do it, but being born, like, first of all, none of us come out, the womb wanting to fuck anything. You know what I mean? Like you're not even thinking about sex till much later in your life. Okay. True. Even if, even those little kids, like you might see a little boy that acts a little feminine. Okay. He's not thinking about fucking another boy at that point. He might be thinking about playing with girls, dolls and, 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 he might have a proclivity to more feminine type of what, what will be deemed feminine activities. You know what I mean? He might not want to play sports as much or whatever the case may be. And we don't know what that could be from. That could be from some other shit. How about all these soybeans in the fucking uh, diet that's supposed to cause, you know, heightened estrogen in males and, and more testosterone in females. Like, there's a lot of shit that we're not looking at that can influence shit, but all the, the, the sexual part of it, that's a decision. That's a decision. Like, like you could grow up around, let's say you got five sisters and a mother and you the only boy. So you got a lot of female and you might be the youngest. So now all the people you look up to are females. That might very well help to push you down that road. But at the end of the day, you're going to decide whether what you want to do or not. Cause there's people that's born that way that have five older sisters and they're not homosexual. That didn't influence them. So I don't know. Well, uh, this study was a hundred times bigger than any previous study on this topic. Right. So this was a big, serious study. Cause I think that this is, you know, I think there's a topic that should be explored. Right. You know, are you born this gay? Because I think that had it come out that way, it would have justified a lot of people. Like, hey, look, this is the way I was born. And you could really tie that at that point. You could tie, um, you know, sexuality to racism. You see what I'm saying? You could say you can't discriminate me for being gay just like you can't discriminate me for being black. Because right. I was born this way. I have zero right. control. But again, over this it, it is the exact same thing. But what they said here is that um, the DNA cannot predict who is heterosexual or gay. And their sexuality cannot be pinpointed by life experiences, psychology, or biology. Right. And so I actually sent this to someone when you sent that to me. And I received an idiotic, just in the title of the thing, it was... It didn't, it made no sense. It said, no gay gene, but doctors have find have found genetic links to sexual behavior. 
If there's no gay gene, how is there a genetic link to sexual behavior? Like that's just some shit they're gonna put out there to try to combat whatever this was fucking said. Like you'll always find an anti-study. But as again, I don't think there's been as big a study as the one you're talking about. Um, but I was just like, fucking asshole. Like, like, like the, the, the title itself didn't even make sense. Right. If there's no gay gene, then there's means, no gay gene. Being, Why are you right. saying talking genetics after that? Then you right. see what I'm saying? And, and let me just say that the source. Uh, where we got this article is from pbs.org. This was a serious publication. This wasn't just like some, right? you know, off-brand or right. something that people could feel is, is somewhat swayed. You know, the, the, the title of this is There's No Gay Gene, There's No Straight Gene, Sexuality is Just Complex, study confirms. A lot, a lot of factors. And here, at the end of the day, take a look at this. Why do so many men partake in homosexual activities in prison? Because that's all they got access to. Right. And it ends up being, but but they decide to do that. They didn't go right. in there. They got weak over time from lack of sex. And they said, you know what? Fuck it. And they made the decision to do that. So, and, and here's my thing. Why is it so bad to say that it's a decision? Like, why do you want us to believe that you have to be born this way? Is there is 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 the fact that you made a decision can that bite you in the ass somewhere else? You see what I'm saying? Like, does that speak to something else that y'all don't even want us to really examine? Because y'all are really going out of your way. To act like it's not a decision. When we need well, to own like said, up to I, the I shit we it, do. Uh, it, it ties itself into serious discrimination aspects like racism and so forth like that. You know, because once you take away the choice aspect of it, then you could say that you're being discriminated or prosecuted over things that you can't control. Like, for example... You could be born into a Christian household and decide to become Muslim. Right. You could be born in a Christian household and decide to become Muslim. Like, 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 what? It's a choice. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like, it's a choice. And I'm just saying. You could be, yeah, you could be born into a Muslim household, into a Muslim household and decide to become Jewish. You know what I mean? Like, these are all choices. And. These are choices that a person makes, and I think that's and now if you and now so now let's say you're born uh, Christian, you decide to turn Muslim, right? Mm -hmm. And now Muslims are being persecuted. Let's just say, okay, by America and all this type of shit. Um, and now you're complaining about being persecuted. People are going to say to you, "Well, you made the conscious decision to be a Muslim." If you don't want to be a persecuted, don't be a Muslim. That's what they probably would tell you. Or if you really love it so much, then you're just going to have to deal with the persecution. That's part of being a Muslim in this country. So if you don't want to be persecuted about your sexual proclivities and all of that, 
And uh, first of all, nobody should be persecuted for anything. Like persecution is some bullshit. Um, But if you don't want to deal with whatever ramifications come with whatever decisions that you make, then we need to weigh these decisions out and decide whether we're ready to own all that comes with it. You know what I mean? The positive and the negative. I mean, look, I'm a a white Russian Jewish male. Uh, I I grew up in a mostly like white and Asian community in San Mateo. And then when I got to Berkeley and Oakland and lived out there, I was around a lot of black people. And my first real like relationship was with a, a black woman, a black and Asian. She was actually black and Japanese. And moving forward, that had such an effect on me that for the rest of my life, most of my relationships ended up being with black women. Right. It was due to a choice, a decision, my environment. Uh, I don't think I was born attracted to black women. In fact, when I wasn't around black women, I wasn't really attracted to black women like that because there weren't any around. (laughs) I mean, apart from what I saw on TV. Uh, So my environment kind of, sort of affected my sexuality you know which was was heterosexuality but you know my my preferences for certain types of people in the opposite sex and that's not anything i was born with i can't say it's genetic and now let me ask you something and you feel comfortable around black people i've seen you eat jamaican food and all kinds of shit now let me tell you now let me ask you do you are you transracial do you feel like you're black? Although you no, like no. all this black shit, you're in Not a black all. fucking genre. You like hip hop. You was DJing. You like black women, black food. Do you think you're black? Not at all. You still know that you're a white Jewish man from Russia. Right. And that these are choices you've made. Mm-hmm. It's a choice. It's and a not, choice. And nothing's wrong something. with that, Vlad. Here, here, here's another thing. If you throw me back in an environment when I'm only around white women, I will eventually start to adapt and get into white women. I'm not just going to sit there and just and not, not get like <laughs> not get no pussy. <laughs> I will make it work. Let's not get crazy now. <laughs> I will make it work. And I think and that's what happens in prison. Like, hey, you're into women. You love women. But now you're given 30, 40 years where you're not going to see any more women. Yeah, well, I'm jerking off then. I'm not, yeah. I'm not. Well, not everyone dude. makes the same choice and as you. And I know niggas, you know, that was jerk off kings. Like they did not submit to that gay shit. They just jerked off a lot. That's. Essentially a half season. Okay, Roz, I'm going to need a little bit of help on this one. Okay, what's up? The mass shootings. Where did you want me to play this from? Oh, that was from um Yeah, that'll be the last one. That'll be from minute I think it's seven. Let me go back and put them real quick. Uh seven thirty to fourteen thirty nine. That'll be the last one. Set to uh fourteen. 39. 1439. Yes. 
he was like, I know it's probably because of these tattoos I have and shit, right? You know, he had the white power tattoos and shit like that. He said, man, what I'm trying to say is I ain't got nothing against you. Said, I don't know you. I don't have nothing against you, yo. He said, I, we locked up back here. He said, I don't got nothing against you. He said, matter of fact, I ain't got nothing against you or your people. Word. He said, yeah, um, black people don't pose any threat to, you know, me and my people and our little movement and shit. He said, um, I know that you've been looking, you, you've of course looked at my tattoos and you assumed that I'm a certain way, but I would like to give you some history on, you know, my people, the Aryan Brotherhood, whatever, whatever group he was a part of. He's like, I want to give you some history on it. So I'm like, fuck it. You know what I mean? Go ahead. We build them, whatever. So first thing he said was this, uh, this swastika on my arm. He said, I know what you're thinking about when you see it and shit. He said, that shit is a misconception. He said this the swats the swastika is a um a Sanskrit character. This is Sanskrit and it means well being. Just as sure as he gave me that explanation whenever I got a chance to look it up, that's what it meant. So you know what I mean I'm kind of engaged now because I like to hear new information from people and shit. And he he's kicking some shit. So he was like, yeah, man. He was like, we ain't got nothing against black people, man. He said, we got beef with the government. This is what the Aryan guy, my neighbor, was saying. He was like, we got, a beef, we got beef with the government. And at which point he started talking about Timothy McVeigh. They, he thought McVeigh was really a real live nigga. He thought he was real live. And um, he was like, you know, as far as black people, though, he said, we not thinking about y'all, man. He said, y'all ain't got no money for real. All y'all buy is fucking sneakers and shit like that. Um. All y'all need is a Cadillac and a machine gun. Y'all gonna kill each other and shit. I'm like, damn. He said it straight like that. He said straight like that. He said all y'all need is Cadillacs and machine guns. Y'all kill each other off and shit. So, you know, y'all ain't no threat to us, man. He said we're not tripping off y'all. We got beef with, you know, financial institutions and you know this person and that person but black people he said y'all ain't even organized man ain't nobody tripping off y'all like that i'm like damn he said i'm sharing this information with you so you can go back to your people and share it with them now i'm gonna tell you what's going on he said uh and this is like 2000 2001 he said right now while y'all doing y'all drive-bys on each other and shit he said, we got kids up in the mountains of Montana and Idaho in the woods um, learning how to shoot assault rifles, shoot machine guns and shit. I'm like, word. He was like, yeah, they learn how to shoot. He said, they also learn how to fish, hunt, and we planting our own crops. He said, if the government decides to disrupt, pollute, or do anything for that matter to our food and water supply, there's nothing we can do about it. He said, what, a, excuse me, there's nothing that you and your people can do about it because y'all not prepared. He said, we prepared and shit. I'm like, damn. Yeah, living off the grid. Yeah, he told me about this in 2001 and shit. He said there's women living out in the woods with them that's fucking the whole tribe. Like, everybody that live on this, this property can fuck this broad. 
You dig? And their whole point is to make a, a, a another 100% pure white baby boy. Everybody in the, on the on the whole campus or on the whole property fucking her. They 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 teeing off on her, just hoping that she'll make another boy. A boy is a soldier. A boy is a potential a potential soldier. This is what the Aryan boy is telling me and shit. So I'm like, God damn. Um, that day, he just really opened up. He started talking about Thor uh, and Vikings and shit. And I'm like, damn, they got Thor. You know, the Aryans and shit, they fuck with Thor and shit. He's been a cartoon character um, since I was a kid and shit. I'm like, God damn, that's crazy. And... When I seen that shit happen yesterday, I mean, over the weekend, those two mass shootings that happened back to back, I'm like, this shit sound like the same shit that my man was saying in two, that, you know, that my neighbor was talking about in 2001. You know what I mean? They was preparing for, for some shit like this. They was preparing this to set it off. Yeah, I liked it Thor too, but I found out that he has some type of, his roots is, uh, I guess, Viking, and that's, it has some type of racial connotation. But, um, yeah, he told me, the guy told me that, you know, they would set it off one day. And he made a point of, at, after everything that he said to me, he said, fam, I'm telling you this so you could take this shit back to your people. And everything that I'm kicking to you is for the self-preservation of our people, the white people. This is what he was saying. He said, "I'm everything I'm sharing with you, you can go take it back to your people to preserve the well-being of you and your people. I was like, God damn. So, yeah, that's the uh, conversation that I had with a white supremacist and shit. Oh, he went on to say um, in regards to, you know, me feeling any type of racial shit about him. He said, I just got off death row. The white guy he said, I just got off death row and he had his newspaper clippings and he was in this county jail on writ fighting the case or whatever. But he had just came off a of death row. And shit. How did he get off death row? A paralegal in the law library from the Nation of Islam, a black guy helped spring this nigga from his situation. So he was dealing with me as a convict. I don't know if you have anybody who's never been to prison. That's kind of a term of, term of endearment to, to guys who serve, served a lot of time. They call each other convicts. But he was like, yeah, I'm just kicking this shit to you, man, because I'm a convict just like you, despite the racial shit. He said, we ain't got nothing. We're not tripping off y'all. So... um. Welcome, welcome. <clears throat> Excuse me. Welcome to another episode of Real Life the Radio Show. I am your host, Jenna Capra, alongside my partner, Brother Roz. Brother Roz, how are you doing this 10th day of September? Hey, my brother. Uh, peace and love to you and the calls and listeners. I'm still learning and I'm just happy to be on 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 the on the on the show with you and and the other calls and listeners to chop up what we just heard because it was quite a bit. Um, excuse the profanity. The last brother that was talking, 
was um, actually an ex-convict, so he's speaking in ex-convict terms. That's why he heard a lot of curses. And um, Lord Jamar is a, you know, he, he flies off the handle with the four-letter words, but I think it, it was important, the concepts that they were speaking about, not exact, not necessarily how they spoke it. So um, if anyone was offended by the four-letter words, I think, honestly, you should be more offended by the world we live in than the way people describe it. That's my opinion, but I could be incorrect. Go ahead, brother. How's everything with you? Oh, man, as you stated, still learning. There's so much going on. Yes, sir. Keep up with that and the current news. It is something terrible, but it is. uh, It it gives and takes, Uh, but never mind that. Uh, Let's get get right into some of these articles. Well, these yeah. videos first, because you uh, you set us up with quite a few. So, where would you like to begin? Um, for me, I would like to start with um the Dale Hughley uh clip when he said when he was asking why are white males so angry, mm. um, and and them going off, you know, just these mass shootings. It's literally like one every week or two to three every week. It all depends on what week it is, um. What what I've noticed is that in the history of this country, everything has ratcheted up to a point where things are just getting worse and worse. And when I say that, I mean, look, when I was young and I was in high school, you had mass shootings. Amongst black people, there were no mass shootings in any schools. What happened was if you had beef with somebody, you would see them after school and you would, you know, you might shoot them, but it was only that person. You weren't spraying a whole schoolyard full of people because you had beef with this one person. But, you know, you had Columbine, it was just lighting people up crazy. And it just has continued to get worse to the point where now you got uh, places in Florida where where uh, teachers are able to carry weapons. Um, oh, here. So, uh, go ahead, say it again. It's here, too. Okay. So, so you have places around the country now where because the, the, the mass shooting situation is so out of control, they're arming teachers. I couldn't imagine. And I went to school in New York when they first started the metal detectors. So I was, I was at the, the very forefront of the beginning of things getting worse. And, you know, it went from metal detectors in, in the black schools, no metal detectors in the white schools, but white people were the ones shooting up the schools, but no metal detectors there. But for the one-off shooting that would happen in uh, black high school, you had metal detectors everywhere, <laughs> okay? Um, when I went to school, the biggest problem we had were gangs robbing the entire school or coming to the school to jump somebody or coming to the school to do bodily harm to a group of people. That was the issue that we had as black children in school. Um, outside of that, we didn't have no issues with, you know, people in the school just coming in randomly shooting people and crazy stuff like that. And I was thinking as Dale Hughley was describing, like, well, why are y'all so angry? And the history of mass shootings and all of this type of stuff, I thought of uh, Lyndon Johnson. And a quote that he made. And I'm like, this is why white people are mad. And let me just read the quote real quick, because it was a very honest, truthful, and uh, in a way, a very brilliant quote. Let me pull it back up, because I just had it here. Let me go back to it right now. Lyndon Baines Johnson. So he said, if you can convince the lowest white man he is better than the best colored man, he won't notice you're picking his pocket. Hell. Give him somebody to look down on, and he'll empty his pockets to you. So he's basically saying that 
he knows that poor white people are being crapped on and that they're being mistreated just like we are. So a poor white person has actually has more in common with a poor black person than they would ever have with a middle class or upper middle class or upper class white person. But if you convince him that there's somebody else to look down on, in other words, I might be broke, I might live in a shack, I might not have anything, my child might not even have shoes, I might have a, a dirt floor in my house because I can't even afford to put down wooden planks, but at least I'm not a nigga. And that is why white people, because they're voting for people like Trump after Obama because they don't want another black man in office, and in their minds, they think they're, they're going to come up. When Trump has consistently said he don't want to deal with poor people, he only deals with rich people, rich white males. Even when he voted, when he set up his treasurer, he said, nah, there's no way I'm going to put a poor, poor white person as a treasurer. He has to be a rich person. So now that they're having the experience that goes along with Donald Trump living out what he said, which is pretty much you poor white people are black people to me. <laughs> That's how much y'all don't matter to me. That they're angry. But again, the anger is misguided. The anger is being directed towards black people because we were the ones they were given to look down on instead of looking at the cause of their problem, which is white people. And that ties me into the, um, the hashtag ADOS situation where I'm seeing more and more videos. There's some people who have dedicated, um, Tariq has been doing a, a number on black Caribbeans and, and black Africans as far as just denigrating them just wholesale. And there's other people I've come across on YouTube that are so-called hashtag ADOS um, that are just tearing uh, black immigrants up. And to me, it's identical to what's going on in South Africa, because what you're looking at in South Africa is not xenophobia. Xenophobia is a hatred, disdain, and even violent overtones towards foreigners. So if it was really xenophobia, xenophobia, those South Africans will be killing the Indians that are there, the Chinese that are there, the Arabs that are there, the whites that are there, and the foreign Africans that are there. The only let people who are angry. Uh, let me go on and play that real quick, Ross. Okay, no problem. They see it. What is happening in South Africa right now is really sad. I don't think most of them even know the meaning of their national anthem. It's sad to see things like this happening in the motherland. Like, I really didn't want to say anything about this issue because most of you are saying that what is happening in South Africa is xenophobia. I don't call what is happening in South Africa xenophobia. Yes. We need to change the term of saying that, say no to xenophobia, because what is happening in South Africa is not xenophobia. It's sad to see something like this happening on the continent. If you don't know the meaning of xenophobia, 
is the hatred towards a foreigner. Are you trying to tell me that because I'm from Ghana, I go to South Africa, I'm a foreigner? Are you trying to tell me that I'm from Nigeria, when I go to South Africa, I'm a foreigner in South Africa? Are you trying to tell me that I'm from Zambia, Zimbabwe, Mali, Uganda, Tanzania, Kenya, I go to South Africa, I'm a foreigner? My heart is really bleeding. That's why I really didn't want to talk anything about what is happening. Because sometimes when I talk, people don't get where my message is coming from. Let me tell you guys, man. I'm not just a vlogger, man. From today, know that I'm not just a vlogger. I have a purpose. Until I see Africa free. Until I see Africa as one. Because that is my message. One Africa. Trust me, one Africa is going to happen. But sometimes I sit down and assess what is happening in Africa. I keep on asking myself, how long is it going to take us to unite as one? How long? How long? What is happening in South Africa? It's not xenophobia. But what is happening in South Africa right now is what I call it self hate because if you are talking about hatred against foreigner then you need to do the same thing to chinese indians australians whoever that lives in the country not just your fellow africans who are trying to survive your fellow africans who are trying to feed their family your fellow africans who are trying to take care of themselves don't be a lazy youth what is happening is self-hate the self-hate in africa is way too much that's one of the biggest problems. Because when you travel within Africa, then you get to see the real self-hate in every African country you go to. Let's love one another. How can a black brother kill another brother saying that you're taking my job? Like, like I can't even watch the videos. Like, I've seen the videos people are sending to me. What am I saying something? Why have you been quiet about this issue? Like, I've seen it. But anytime I see it, I get sad. When are we going to unite? You see, where all of this thing started from? Like I said, when it comes to Africa, our main problem is the people who are leading us. The incompetent people who are leading us. And when you talk about it, people don't get it. How can a president say this? Everybody just arrives in our townships and rural areas and set up businesses without licenses and permits. We are going to bring this to an end. And those who are operating illegally, wherever they come from, must now know. Did you listen to him? This is the South African president. When you have incompetent people like this in power, this is what happened. This is the result we get. It's simple as ABC. So if the main man who represents the entire country is saying this in order to win elections, what do you expect? I'm not here to cause another hatred to each and everyone out there, but I'm here for peace. We have to love one another.
come together as one Africa. I'm just sad, man. I don't want to make this video so long. But all I want to say is one love. Yeah, I thought uh, when you yeah, I go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say I thought it was appropriate because um he felt he said exactly what I was thinking from the very beginning of this situation coming out. The South African president played the same role that Lyndon Johnson played with that statement he made. He's the one who stoked the flames of xenophobia, or not really, self-hatred that was being propagated by Africans against Africans. But the real origin of it is apartheid, because a lot of the people who own the viable businesses are white South Africans who still practice racism. So when they say they're taking our jobs, Malema said it in another really good video that I had, I think, but it was longer. He said, the job is not your job. The people who own these businesses are white and they're choosing foreigners over you. The same way I say in America, the only people that I see the hashtag ADOS crowd going against are black immigrants. They say nothing about uh, white immigrants, where the majority of immigrants into this country are white people because America loves white people and they're trying to propagate and boost the numbers of white people here. They say nothing about uh, Latino immigrants, except the fact that they don't care what's happening to them on the board. I've heard so many of them just go in, like, whatever happens to them, it don't matter, da-da-da-da-da. And then um, they say nothing about the Chinese. They say nothing about the Indians. They say nothing about the Arabs. The only people that I see the most vehement hatred projected on by hashtag ADOS anti-black people are black immigrants. And they're the smallest amount of people that are led in the country every year their numbers are smaller than any other group of immigrants in the country. And whenever Trump or any other white president goes on a tirade of expelling immigrants, they're the first ones that are kicked out. So it's the same thing going on in South Africa that's happening here. The only difference is the violence hasn't hit the street, or at least not yet. And these are the, these are the connections we have to make, because to use the term xenophobia is incorrect. Like he said, like I said earlier, and like I thought from the moment this came out, they're not killing anybody but other black people. It's the same thing when you look at the albino situation with the killings of albinos in Tanzania and some of the other countries. If you think that having white skin is magical, and that's why you're chopping children up and ripping their hearts out and using them in rituals, you got millions of white people right there. The ultimate albino. Chop them up. <laughs> But no, the only people you can go after are people who really are so victimized and they're already in a vulnerable situation because they're in Africa. They're albino, so they can't even go into the sun because it, it, it's painful and they can get serious cancer and they get it relatively quickly. They usually don't live that long. So these people are extremely weak and vulnerable to begin with, just like the black immigrants are the weakest, most vulnerable immigrant group. So black Americans are going to focus all their attention on them, just like in, 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 in Tanzania, the, the Africans who, who do these heinous things, these, these other albino brothers and sisters are doing it because they're the most vulnerable group and they can get away with it. Well, it's and a power that, dynamic. It's a oh, power yeah. dynamic uh, over there and over here as well. Yes. People that get smacked around find somebody else to smack around. Uh, pardon exactly. my Exactly. 
No, but, no, no. It's, it's, you're totally correct. Go ahead. No, nah, I was just wanted to add that real quick before we uh. Oh, no on. problem. But I just I just wanted to go into that first because I felt that it was quite imperative that we speak about that due to the fact that tons and tons and masses of people are calling it xenophobia, and it is not xenophobia. It is self-hatred because you are looking at someone who looks just like you, and you hate what you see due to propaganda given to you by the president of South Africa, and in this country, propaganda given to you by, by other black people who are anti-black and call themselves leading an online movement. If, if ADOS is supposed to be about seeking reparations, which they should be seeking reparations, what does that have to do with black immigrants? And how are black immigrants taking your job? When I know just from personal experience, a lot of jobs that Caribbean people take in this country are jobs that black Americans don't touch. When my mother got here and she, she used to work in Coney Island, first buying frog legs, <laughs> that's what they used to make back then. Um, and then she transitioned via her connections with other people from Trinidad that she knew from back home that moved here or their relatives knew our relatives so they connected when she was here. They put her on to become a home attendant for the elderly. Black Americans don't do that job. She never worked with one black American. Everybody came from the island. Everybody came from the islands, or they came from Guyana. Or, um, and then later on, it became dom more dominated by Latinos. But black Americans don't take those jobs. And I remember her first job was with a racist white woman. And the white woman, when she came to the house to do her job, she said the white woman looked at her and said, ew, they sent you? Basically, oh, they sent one of y'all niggas? And the whole, her whole face, her whole attitude, this woman was in the 80s and she was bedridden. And my mother said, oh, I got something for you. Since you don't like me, I'm leaving. And you can call the agency and ask for someone else. I don't work for racists. The woman, the woman got hysterical. She started to cry. She was like, please don't leave me. She said, no, you don't want me here. And she said, I don't want to be anywhere where I'm not wanted. And the other attendant she was replacing was shocked that my mother said that. She said, no, 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 no. She said, nobody's going to disrespect me like that and expect me to wipe your nasty white behind and feed your nasty white mouth when you're looking at me and talking at me like I'm subhuman or I'm an animal. You think any black American would tolerate that? Absolutely not. And my mother was, t was getting that treatment when she first got here in the early 70s. So the, the jobs that black people claim that black immigrants are taking are jobs that are being given to them by the white people who run those corporations and those businesses. They're not taking anything from you. If it was a black American that owned that company and they gave the job away, then I think in an in a off kind of, a, you know, not, not in an indirect way, you can say something like that. But none of the companies that you're working for are black companies because black companies don't get support from black people. And black companies really don't get support from white people. So the, the, the logic is the same logic that Lyndon Johnson has used on poor white people that some of these hashtag ADOS people that are anti-black use in how they treat other black immigrants. And I'm not saying black immigrants are perfect. You have you know, people who do negative in all groups. And as black immigrants and black Americans, we have both done things to each other. But for, for black ADOS, anti-black people to be disingenuous enough to say that immigrants are the problem and immigrants are latching onto our history and our culture to try and beat us. You know how, much, how many significant contributions black immigrants, especially from the Caribbean, have contributed to, to America? 
and the upward mobility of America, there would be no lottery without Black Caribbean people who, who created the entire number system, the whole policy system. Um, um, Stephanie St. Clair and um, um, Holstein and all these people were Caribbean people. There would be no lottery if it wasn't for them. What are you talking about? Marcus Garvey, he led um, was 6 million Black people globally. More Black people were, were led by Marcus Garvey at his height than any other Black leader in, in modern history. And, and he's got the most of his followers he got in the United States because he was shunned so bad in his, in his native Jamaica. And I can run the list on and on and on and on. Some of the greatest people that Black Americans look up to in the revolutionary struggle are Caribbean people. Arthur Schomburg was a Black Puerto Rican Jew who has the largest collection of African artifacts in the world sitting in Harlem. Malcolm X had a Grenadian mother and a Black American father. And it was through his Grenadian mother that his, the white genes were infused into his family lineage due to one of her ancestors having a white parent. When you look at Edward Wilmot Blyden, one, the, the father of Pan-Africanism, he was from the islands too. So I can keep running down names of Caribbean people. Kwame Ture, the person who, who lifted my father up, who in turn lifted me and my sister up to understand and have a global black consciousness from a very young age. Dr. Ben is an Ethiopian Jew of Puerto Rican Yemenite parentage. His mother was a Yemenite Jew from Puerto Rico. His father was a black Ethiopian Jew from Gandara, Ethiopia. And one of our greatest scholars. And I can keep running down names, but it don't make sense to keep doing that. It's just that the type of <laughs> acute self-hate that's being propagated by people who look like us is insane to me. Well, just like it, it was insane to Wode Maya. Go ahead, brother. What are you going to say? I'm sorry. I want to monopolize things. Go ahead. Let me help you out a little bit. We, we, can, we can feel the fire the, the fire <laughs> coming up out of you. My bad. Let you take your breath for a second. Uh the issue, the issue is, is that, uh, well, before I even say this, let me uh, shout out to all the listeners that be checking us out. Uh, I've been, yeah, we appreciate you for real. Yeah, yeah, I've been looking at the downloads and what have you. So it's people that's really taken. So we appreciate that uh, without question. But the reason that people are taking us in, and a lot of it has to do with that. Uh, that deep history that you have with some of these, uh, with some of these, uh, I'm saying followers, some of these ancestors who they follow. You mentioned something. You mentioned that black people don't support black people, and it'll be a lot of people that will try to argue that. But the fact of the matter is, is for the most part, that is a correct statement, unless you are degrading somebody or something i agree this is the uh th this is the issue right now when we when we looking at the uh what you're talking about as far as the ados and all of this a lot of these uh, a lot of the people that's checking these uh just hitting these views and what have you that's supporting yeah. ados and sending them money and that's the reason they keep making these videos because people sending them money for it so it's, it's like, like rap yeah, yeah, they keep making so, horrible rap songs because people buy it and they shake their tail feathers to it in the club. Yeah, Go ahead, brother. You can't, you can't even necessarily uh, 
I mean, of course we can blame, but we have to examine ourselves. Uh, that's what people want to see. Cause ain't nobody yeah. doing too much research to go figure out if, if this is true. And it's a lot of people that claim to be that, whether it be, uh, ADOS or uh, Aboriginal or what have you, Asiatic, you know, it's so many terms nowadays. It's, you know, it's, I, I don't want to get into that either, but it's so many uh, people are just claiming stuff just for the purpose of having something to claim. I understand it, uh, just understanding history of being everything taken away. We tend to just reach for whatever the newest thing it is. Uh, chicken sandwich was a perfect example just here recently, you know, just yes. something to cling to. Uh, one, that's one of the theologies that we have to get rid of. So I know you done, you done calmed a little bit. I would yes, like sir. to ask a question, uh, and this goes directly. Uh, I want to switch gears and go to another Dia Hughley clip that you played, and it was about the uh, Black Girl Magic. Okay, and one second. Before you do that, I just want to say one more thing about this issue going in the opposite direction. I am not a fan of Tyler Perry's artwork. I think it's anti-Black. I think it is anti-sexual. And I think in a lot of ways it's denigrating to black people the way he portrays certain characters on film. That is my personal opinion. Other people might love his work, which is fine. You know, everybody has an opinion. That's just my personal opinion, especially from a counter-racist perspective. But that man took his own private plane, a seaplane, with goods and services and medical equipment, uh. flew that plane from America to the Bahamas. And he also was able to help pick up some of the people and take them out of that situation they were in. And today, Trump just turned away a boatload of Bahamians because they didn't have proper visa. And he said that he's not actually allowing Bahamians to migrate to this country after this hurricane because they're gang members and these are horrible people. So for Tyler Perry, as, as much as I don't like his art, I respect him as a black man because he's thinking in the way that we should all be thinking. If black people were so together, we would have our stuff together so well that Bahamas wouldn't have to ask nobody else for help. It would be nothing but other Caribbean countries, African countries, and American Africans that would come to their rescue. And that's not the case. So I just wanted to throw that out there and big up to Tyler Perry. I hope that, you know, whatever you do, I hope that you get to a place where you understand that your artwork affects millions of black people and influences the ways that white people see and speak about us publicly, which influences the way we see and speak about ourselves. But outside of that, I thank you for, for what you've done. And I think you, you're a living example of what a true um, Pan-African or global mindset, global African mindset looks like in your actual action, the action. You are showing it. You're not talking about it. You are about it. And I greatly appreciate you for that, Tyler Perry. Now, go ahead to that other clip, brother. I just needed to put that out there so it wasn't all negative. But go ahead. No, you uh, and well deserved. He did do that, you know. Yes, sir. Not trying to cap about it either. So, right. He didn't say anything. I just saw the article. But go ahead, brother. No, you're right. You're right. But uh, the black girl magic, and uh, of course, we had went in. He had went in about the father and what have you. 
Well, yep. recently, uh, while they was doing the Black Girl Rock, they had this. Uh, I'm not sure if this woman was a uh, was a woman or what have you, because she was questioning why wasn't the uh, why wasn't trans women <clears throat> a part of that. So this that that trans uh that went right into you know last week we talked about uh, what's his name Janae and yeah Janena yeah right so as a matter of fact let me just play that one more time okay I didn't even know you had that handy guys my own business best idea uh no not the not the Janae part that's not what I'm talking about. Ah, okay. We equally reject attempts to prescribe new rights that are contrary to our values, norms, traditions, and beliefs. We are not gays. So, is there, uh, we have gotten to a point we, uh, where they was talking about the uh, no gay gene and, uh, All of the uh, the LGBTQ uh, community, they have so many laws that's, uh, that they have passed, uh, almost like force, forced uh, respect, because that's what they calling it, respect, but it's being enforced behind laws because of their choices. I got something to drop what you about this thing. What do you think is going to happen? Because most times, uh, most times the black women are the ones who are uh, most friendly with the homosexuals in our race. Yeah. With this starting to happen, it seems like the uh, the uh, homosexual community is beginning to publicly cut the black women out. And I don't think that all the black women are noticing this. And I'm wondering, have you noticed it? I've noticed it because this is what I've always said. Antisexuals have gotten more rights pushed and acted upon in their favor in 40 years than black people got in 500. And it started in the 70s. It started with the removal of homosexuality as a mental illness from the DSM. It started with the disco era, which facilitated um, the beginning of the propagation of AIDS. And it's just been on a, a complete tsunami from there until where we're at now. And to me, black women's closeness with gay men had a lot to do with feeling safe in their presence because they knew that they didn't want them because some black men are, you know, can be aggressive and can be touchy-feely and very hands-on in ways that might be uncomfortable to black women. But when you're around a gay man, basically all he's doing is his own impression of what he thinks a woman acts and looks like. What you're seeing is an act. It's like if I look at a female and I'm giving you, by my behavior, my mannerisms, what I think a black woman acts like but it's never going to be authentic because I'm not a woman. That's why I don't call trans, pe trans people women. They're not women. They're not. They never will be. I don't care if you 
fillet your penis and create a false vagina and go through all of that stuff and, and Bruce Jenner yourself, you're still a man. That's that. I will never change my language when it comes to that. Um, I will respect people's rights, but I'm not going to sit there and call you something you're not because at that point I'm indulging in insanity. That's why I don't, I'm not around them. I don't know any of them. I'm not friends with any of them, and I would never be friends with any of them because they would be troubled by the fact that I'm still calling them what they really are. And it's interesting because an article just came out today, and I'm about to blow your mind. It says this. It's a mother arrested for calling trans woman a man and is charged with trolling. So now on the internet... And did, it's a white woman. Go ahead. Hold on. Did you say uh, she was charged with trolling? Charged with trolling, but she was arrested. This is a white American female arrested for calling a trans woman a man on Twitter. And she is charged with trolling. So now if you go on the internet and you call a transgender person what they really are, you're going to get arrested potentially. Just like in Canada, there's a law that if you don't, like there's children as young as six that are calling themselves transgender and, and all of this stuff too. And if the parent doesn't kowtow to that six-year-old, and if she says she's a boy, if they don't call her a boy, the court can and has legally removed the child from the household charging child abuse. Yet, the most suicidal group in the country, and I've seen documentaries on YouTube about this, the most suicidal group are anti-sexual people and specifically transgender. Why is that? Because they are getting these sex changes as children and by the time they become adults, they regret it and they want their old, their old organs back. Mm. So you are taking a person who is not psychologically developed because you don't, your brain doesn't finish growing until you're 25. You're not sexually developed because you're still feeling out who you are. If you're a six-year-old, you, you know nothing about sex. You're not even thinking about anything sexual whatsoever, but you know you're transgender at six or 16. And what they're finding, psychiatrists and psychologists like Dr. Wilson, like Dr. Johnson and other ones have come out in some of these documentaries and said, if you have a child that thinks they're gay and they're like 10, 11, 12, whatever, you can actually let them grow and develop in a normal environment. You don't have to support that behavior, but you support the child. And usually by the time they become a young adult, they figure it out and usually they don't go on with that gay lifestyle. And through the study that came out, which was a study of almost half a million people where they found no gay genes, it takes away what gay people have been trying to do is basically say they're on the same level as black people. And they've convinced the entire planet that they're on the same level as black people because they can't, they have no control over their sexual, their sexual orientation. This study proved that that's not true. And what it is with this whole situation is they've fooled the world so well into accepting this as a norm that it's going to be extremely hard and I think impossible to reverse it at this point, especially in America. But it is a form of insanity that everyone else is, is forced to embrace. So in other words, the same people in this society are being looked at as outcasts and the insane people are being propagated as this new lifestyle that everybody's supposed to accept. So the whole anti-sexual movement has become the most oppressive force towards normalcy. It is almost illegal to be heterosexual and to speak about it. Just, just about a week or two ago, they just had the first known 
um, straight pride parade in Boston. So now straight people have to have a parade just to celebrate their straightness because homosexuality and they're less than half of 1% of the entire society has taken over the psychology of the entire country. So it's almost like people with Down syndrome, all of a sudden is being propagated as a lifestyle. And, you know, and, and again, this is no dig on Down syndrome, people with Down syndrome. This is just an example. And all of a sudden, everybody just has to support Down syndrome. Like, like, like oh, yeah, this is a lifestyle to have Down syndrome. It sounds insane when I say it because it's a mental illness. These people need help. They need treatment. And they need to be respected. Yet, uh, what's happening is this particular choice is being propagated as something that is, 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 is uh, uncontrollable. When in reality, the choice of who you have sex with is a choice. You can choose not to sleep with the same sex, or you can choose to sleep with the same sex. And like Lord Jamar said, what's the problem with calling it a choice? Because if it's called a choice, then it's saying that all of those laws that they've been able to put in place for, in the last 40 years that beat out black people in the last 500 are being created on, under false pretenses. And because we've been conditioned, that's why I always use the term psychosocial conditioning. We have been psychosocially conditioned to think that this is a real thing. So now the world is insane, and people like me who are speaking in a sane manner, and this is no disrespect to these people. I don't think they should be mistreated. I don't think they should be abused. I don't think that they should be teased or harassed, but I do not think this should be propagated to young people, which is what is happening across the country. I think you live your life. You do what you do in private. It's fine. I, I'm not in your bedroom, so it's not affecting my life. But for you to actually force everyone else in the world to go along with this is literally the insane people leading the entire country. Just like our ancestors used to say that white people are the babies of the planet. They've proven that in recent years themselves. Their own scientists said that white people physically only go back 8,000 years, which means 6,000 B.C. 6, 7,000 B.C. is when the first white-skinned people were, were actually birthed. In a physical, genetic sense, there were no white people before that. So they're the babies of the planet, but the babies of the planet have commandeered the planet from the adults, which are, the, which are black people. So the children have guns and have nuclear warheads, and they have taken the house from the parents. And this is another example of that, because all of these behaviors are behaviors that are inherent in European society that have been now forced upon everybody else. So that's my take on it. And it's funny because um, I had a discussion with my wife about this study that came out. And her best friend is actually homosexual. He's a good brother, too. Um, he's not transgender. He loves being a man. So, I mean, we've had those conversations before. But I said, you know, this, this study really is changing the game as far as the way this, is, this, this um, behavior is being understood on a genetic level. And she actually said to me, I don't believe it. <laughs> and I said, well, it's okay. You know, I'm not, you know, I don't have any feeling about that. You're not believing it is fine. But I said, beliefs are, beliefs are beliefs and science is science. And science trumps belief as far as I'm concerned. And I just left the conversation there. And it's okay. You know, I love my wife. That's not going to change. Her best friend is who he is. And he's been there for her and for us through a lot of things. So I have a high respect for him. My son has a high respect and a lot of love for him. So that's not the case. 
And he knows how I feel about that. You know what I mean? I respect him and I love him. I treat him with respect, but he knows how I feel about it because we dealt with that a long time ago. But the idea is that she's, she is so psychosocially conditioned in exactly the understanding that I just talked about, that she's looking at a scientific paper and completely dismissing it to say, I don't believe that. And what they found in that study, just, just to make it clear, is that they said that there are thousands of genes that play a role in sexual development, but there is no gay gene that says that, okay, this gene determines that you're going to be a homosexual or you're not going to be a homosexual. But they said that genes only account for 25% of sexual development. The rest is environmental. So that means 75% of the what goes into the choice to live a homosexual lifestyle is environmental, which ties into what Dr. Wilson said and Dr. Umar Johnson. They both said 95% of their brown and black homosexual patients that they have personally treated have all said that they were sexually violated as a child by a family member or a stranger before the age of 12 usually. So that's the environmental factor that these two brilliant doctors were talking about that is causing this behavior because genes only pay 25%. So that ties into the connection, again, which goes back to Greece and Rome, between pedophilia and anti-sexual behavior and culture. So everything that I've been saying and a lot of other people have been saying for decades, long before I was even born, they were saying, science is now proving it. But the world has been so psychosocially conditioned to accept this as a viable lifestyle in the form of sexuality that all of the truth is being kicked out of the window. And I'm adding a P to LGBTQ. It's actually LGBTQIA, and I add a P because pedophiles are fighting for rights. Calling, I just saw a video with a, a, a white woman did a TED Talk stating that pedophilia is an, an actual form of sexu sexuality. Then I had an article that talks about there's a massive movement of pedophiles to add themselves to the letter. And the homosexuals and, and other gay people, other types, transsexuals, all of them are trying to distance themselves from that. But this study, by saying that 75% of the choice to be a homosexual is environmental, plays right into what I just said. It is people being indoctrinated into this. Um, like Charlize Theron putting her, her four-year-old black adopted uh, child in the dress at the age of four, got him dressed up like um, the, the black girl from, from, from Frozen to his birthday and all kind of craziness. She is transforming him into a homosexual by how she's raising him. He wasn't born that way. And that is child abuse. But because he's black, it's considered cute because Charlize Theron is blonde hair, blue eyes, and the daughter of a psychopath. Her father was a lunatic who I believe her mother had to kill when she was 12 because he was trying to kill her. So she's not wrapped too tight already. And she's now unraveling the psyche of this young black male. And we're all, the whole world is getting to witness it and they're in full support of it. And then you got people like Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade coming out with their 11-year-old talking about he's gay. What does he know about being gay? At 11, I was playing with G.I. Joes and Transformers. The last thing I was thinking about was having sex with somebody at 11 years old. What in the world is going on with the world? But we have been, we are immersed in this insanity, and we're becoming insane along with it and just riding the wave of insanity. 
And when people come from my position or a similar position with the truth and sanity, we're going to be chased out of town with cowbells on. Insanity, man. That's all I've got to say. What you want to say about this? Because I said myself. This is crazy. Oh, my goodness. No, it's, it's just like I was saying. Do you? I believe that they are. I think it's, uh, there has been many introductions to where uh, the they keep uh they keep using it as an inclusion type tactic uh right. like like we heard in some of the videos and as you discussed this is a choice but it's always conflated to be something similar to uh to being black you know yes this is the same thing that Dr. King no that's that's not what Dr. King was uh fighting for nor Malcolm mm-hmm. X nor any other revolutionaries that I know of, uh, not to say that none of them did, didn't practice press, uh, or however you would describe it. Don't even want to get into it, but that's not to say that none of them did, but that's not what they were fighting for. Uh, kind of like, uh, is it Steve Baldwin that said that, uh, James Baldwin and Langston Hughes were both homosexuals. Both yeah. artists, both activists, but they both understood that their blackness trumps their sexual proclivity. And well, today, the, the complete opposite is true. These well, black the people are thing. fighting for. Go ahead. That's the whole thing, though. Uh, back then, it was about bringing substance, uh, right? Actually doing something. Now, uh, being homosexual is the substance. Thank you. Well said. But well said. We're a little bit uh as we continue moving on, uh let's get into because I want to discuss this uh Roland Martin clip that you put up there with uh <laughs> Yes, I love that <laughs> with the uh Mind your own business, your own yeah. your own effing business. <laughs> yeah. That's- I thought it was brilliant and to the point. I think it's I think it's funny, but please, none of y'all don't 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 do that. Don't send that. Right. To your, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, as uh, as oh, man. E Renegade would say, shout out to him most definitely. Yes, big up. Don't cause a problem trying to solve one. Exactly. Exactly. It is it is more or less an admonishment by white people for white people, but we know that they're not going to take heed to that because that's not in their nature. Every white person in this country is pretty much a deputy of white supremacy. That's why they act like they own us. That's yeah. why when we do things, they just run up and want to know what you're doing, like they're like they're in an authoritative position. They understand their position, and again, it goes back to what Lyndon B. Johnson said. If you give the poorest white person someone else to look down upon, they will empty their pockets for you. Thus, we have Donald J. Trump in office because they had somebody else to look down upon and they hated Obama. Go ahead. That's a good good transition to the bearded white guy that you had planned. Yes, Uh, he's on point. Um, Go to fifth column of the fifth column. I like like his video. He's pretty, um, pretty, uh, 
on point with his viewpoints on things. So I, I check him out quite regularly. And um, yeah, go into it. Um, let me give me your take on it. Well, I first and foremost, I done seen him a few times. I do not trust him whatsoever. Oh uh, yeah. He uh he rem- I can't remember what that uh older I mean that that younger clansman uh head was. He was I think he might have been the youngest uh grand wizard or grand dragon or something. Okay. Very charismatic dude. I can't remember what his name is. It maybe it'll pop up in my head here. Mm-hmm. But anyhow, this guy, uh, not to say that the information is horrible, but just the way that he uh picks and chooses how he delivers his little speeches. Uh, right. All of the very inclusive uh, terminology that he puts out. Now, like you said, his information does uh, does be on point, but you could tell who's he, who he is talking to. Well, excuse mm-hmm. me, I can tell who he's trying to talk to at one point versus another point. And I see a lot of those change-ups in his uh, delivery. But as right. far as... Uh, Trump taking away all of the uh taking away all of the uh the work and all of that that's he was right on point of course uh, I, I agree yeah a lot of these a lot of these videos though just to uh be sh- straight up honest man <laughs> we've been done discussed this uh when it first started <laughs> uh beginning to show its face to the public we've been done discussed it already two or three times and then we'll be discussing it about somebody else finally seeing it. So I, right. I don't know how to feel about it, to be honest. Well, what it is is that I think his breakdown is what white people need to see because they're under this belief that, you know, Trump is bringing the jobs back. And it's funny because a lot of the poor white people who actually voted him into office, I'm seeing videos on CNN and it's MSNBC, and they're all upset with him now because they're finally getting the bigger picture. And what a lot of them have been saying, bring jobs home, bring jobs home. So his answer is for those poor white people. Those jobs are gone. They're all automated. They can't open up a GM plant or a Ford plant, and you're not going to have a bunch of black and white people on an assembly line waiting for car parts to put the car together. That's over with. And the only people that you can pay a less than a yeah. wage to do to do the manual work are people in Asia, like he said. If it's not China, it's going to be the Vietnamese, or it's going to be, you know, our people in Taiwan and Taipei and all of these places. Because black people and white people are not going to accept the kind of money they pay those people over there to do that job here, because the cost of living is so high. So this is not like the early 1900s when a dollar was like having a hundred dollars. The dollar is not worth a darn thing. So is nobody in the United States, immigrant or not, who black or white doesn't matter, who's going to accept being paid the way that those people are paid, which in some cases is 25 cents an hour. They're lucky if they make uh, um, make uh, $100 in a month. There ain't no person in this country that's going to accept that. So those jobs are gone. And there is nobody that's going to bring those jobs back here because they're not willing to pay people that kind of money, the kind of living wage, because they're going to go broke as a corporation, period. And a lot of white people who hate black people and hate non-white people don't understand that. So I think that explanation is geared towards those people. 
the ones who Lyndon Johnson was talking about, because those to me are the people he was talking to just based on what I've been coming across in my study and my research in recent years and months in regards to this issue being what it is. And they just don't understand that. And what he, when he talked about the um, socialist monopoly, I found that quite interesting how he said, you know, his sons, his sons, when he, when they saw their brother starting to lose the game, they donated money to him so that everybody could stay in the game. That's not going to happen in America. You know why? Cause that's the African principle. I remember when I went through initiation and, um, my spiritual father, who was from Burkina Faso, used to always say, in my village, when people have their food that they grow and they bring together to market, everybody gets an equal share. And if one person is left with nothing, it's because somebody stole their share. So they go through each of the different families that got food to see who, who got more than they were supposed to get, and they get that person's share. That is a collective mentality versus an I-me mentality. And America is capitalist. Capitalism has to do with me and screw everybody else. Me hoarding everything, like um, Tupac described it in, le- in less than five minutes in the video. He said, you want to be like Trump? Give me, give me, give me, give me. Push, 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 push. So it's all my stuff. Give me, give me, give me. And push away everybody else so they can't have none. And then you gloat about all that you have while the have not. You're holding on to their share. Mm-hmm. So he's talking about a concept that is impossible in this country the way it stands. And it's impossible the way that even poor whites are conditioned to think that that will ever be a reality because even the poor whites are fighting against their own best interests because they're so ingrained with hating black people. And the idea that, well, I might be poor, I might not have a dime to my name, I might get abused and mistreated just like the black people in the project, but at least I ain't black. Well, see, you asked a uh, you asked that question with D.L. Hughley, uh, why you mad? Now, now think about this, because mm-hmm. uh, all of the rats and what have you. Well, excuse yeah. me, let me quit using it. Uh, <clears throat> the raids that they uh, put on us all after slavery was supposedly, uh, ended. you know, all of that was based off of uh, economics, right? Uh, mm-hmm. We had all of the skills, so since we were quote unquote freed then you have to go to them they started raiding tearing up their own people's stuff killing us and what have you mind you those same people are the families that's complaining now the people that stole the land uh exactly took over the uh took over the iron uh the raw iron smelting and all of that stuff up there close where you at uh mm-hmm the uh, coal miners out here and where i'm at and then you also have uh and the farmers right so these are all of the people all of the uh the white people that was doing all of the complaining push trump through there and these are the exact same industries uh steel <laughs> yep. farming agriculture uh manufacturing cars. manufacturing and uh and i already said i already said agriculture so all of these are the same industries that he has ripped off even more than they was beforehand. Exactly. So it's isn't I don't even think is that they don't see it. They they don't even have a uh they don't even have enough sense to know that it was over before the uh vote. These these industries was already going down. 
if not already non-existent mind you every time every year the uh the wealth the welfare fraud uh put their little list out and 90 percent of them is those white people in those uh geological areas montana uh well, I ain't finna go through all the states, but so what he's saying is a plea to to them. But like I was saying, the inclusion, how he was trying to uh, change up his delivery when he was wanting, you could tell when he was wanting black people to come in and help them, and when he was talking to these podunk white people on us, particularly. So that's that's the only thing I didn't really uh, care for about the video. But what he said was true, and like I stated, we done went through that uh, several few times. Yeah, I just thought the way he presented it was quite uh, creative, and it was good for us to be able to dissect it in this particular manner versus the other ways that we talked about it in the past. I think it set up a nice platform for us to really springboard off of that and really dissect it with a, a, a precision. Um, and, and I like the like the fact that you brought up his approach because I've noticed that myself. But like I said, he does have good videos that are quite informative. So I check him out, you know, quite regularly because I also like to know what white people think and yes. whether they're white people like him or extremely far right white people or extremely far left white people. I just like to know how white people think. And he's to me is a good uh, barometer of how the average white person thinks in sp- specific capacities. That's why I check them out quite regularly. And um, the other thing I wanted to talk about, too, was, let me see, I just saw it. Oh, the brother who was talking about the, the mass shootings being connected and his experience in prison with the yeah. white supremacist, um, explaining to him that, you know, he had no problem with black people because black people are not a threat, because black people are not prepared. And he said, all you got to do is give black people a Cadillac and a machine gun. Before you even get get off into that, mm-hmm. I just want everybody to realize w- when they play this back to listen to how he just get that out of the way like it's nothing. Oh, mm-hmm. got a problem with y'all? We we ain't got a problem with y'all. Y'all y'all ain't no threat. And, and just continue on with the conversation like that was like that's <laughs> nothing. That's why he kept saying, "God damn," because he he never thought about it that way. He's from he's from the the the, the ghettos of um, Pittsburgh, and he's been in and out of jail for most of his young life. He's a, a very um well known journalist and whatnot, but he interviews a lot of former criminals, drug dealers, murderers, things like that. Um, in in a very um interesting way, he deals with sports, hip hop, and um and things like that as well. But because his background is one where he is a repeat offender and stuff, he's been around a lot of different types of people. And, and this was a person he happened to be locked up in the hole next to that he had this conversation with. And he wasn't messing with the guy at all. If you get to get to watch the whole video, he yeah, was never I, messing I, with the guy because he was white supremacist. And then the white supremacist wanted to talk to him because he just thought he was an interesting black guy. And he wanted to break the ice for him and explain, look, I got no beef with y'all pe- with your people at all because y'all really ain't a threat to white people. We mad at you. Like he said, we mad at the government. They're mad at different corporations. They're mad at people in real power. And black people, like he said, have no power. So what am I? What are we angry at y'all for? Y'all, y'all kill each other. So why are we helping you do what you're doing already is pretty much what he's saying. 
So this is the way white people see us. This is the way that they see us holistically as far as us not being a threat. So when you add what I discussed earlier about the anti-blackness within different groups in this country and within different groups in Africa, it all ties into us not being a threat. Because when you look at the statistics, black people are more of an actual physical danger to other black people than anybody else. Proximity. Exactly. You don't see you don't see black people banding together like white folks doing, going and mass shooting up a bunch of white folks. <laughs> you might have a one-off where one black person be like, oh, I can't stand white people, da, 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 da. and they might be silly enough to try something like that, but usually they end up getting <laughs> arrested or they end up dead. You say they're silly enough. <laughs> yeah, that, to me, that's a suicide mission to me because we know what comes with it. White life is, is life that is the most valued. So for a black person who is the most oppressed person to say, I'm going to go and kill white people, that's a suicide mission. That's, that's straight suicide. No questions asked. I'm ready to die. This is the way I'm going out. When yeah. I see or hear about a black person behaving in that manner or talking about doing something like that, I'm just like, oh, yeah, he's ready to die. He on some biggie stuff. Okay, cool. I know I ain't going to see you tomorrow because you're not going to make it nowhere. You're not, they're not going to Dylan Roof you and take you to Burger King. Oh, <laughs> they're yeah. going to off you right where you at. You know, matter of fact. They hit you with, with a bomb. Yeah, I was about to say, like the the, the 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 brother who was killing the cops, I think it was in Texas, they they used the first bomb. They they had a robot roll in with the bomb and blew him the heck up. Yo, so dude. I mean once you you know, and, and when he was describing like, you know, we have young children learning to shoot and then he was talking about how um they practice uh polyandry when you have this one white woman sleeping with all these white men hoping to get her pregnant with a baby. That goes back to ancient European history, but it yeah. tells you how invested they are in the birth of white males, that a white woman is willing to pretty much do what they used to do in the case, prostitute herself to all the males in the family to make sure she gets pregnant with a male, because males have always been more valuable in European society than females, which is the origin of sexism. If you read The Iceman Inheritance by Michael Bradley, he talks about them killing, I believe, every third white female. Because they weren't worth, and sometimes they would eat them because they weren't worth anything. And they said that a woman who is pregnant, this is ancient European history, would eat twice the food and contribute nothing because she's pregnant. So she can't hunt, which was the most important thing. They didn't have agriculture. These people lived in an icy, cold environment. So every day they woke up thinking, what can we kill to eat and to wear their fur to keep ourselves warm? And in that environment, men are more important because they're more robust, they're physical, they don't get pregnant, and they're, they're, you know, so everything about men was elevated and exalted and everything about women were put on the back burner. When you go back to Greece, you find that what? To have sex with a man was considered the highest form of love possible in Grecian culture. And they only had sex with women to procreate. So when I want to have a little boy, I'll sleep with my wife. But other than that, I'm looking for 12-year-old boys so I can inject manhood into his buttocks. That's the way that they describe it, injecting manhood into their buttocks. And they would do it with 11, 12, 13-year-olds. When you study the origin of gymnasium, it means to exercise naked. So the boys would go to the gymnasium, and they would exercise naked. And you had something called pedagogues. I talked about this in an essay that I wrote on white supremacy. And the pedagogues were actually protectors. They were guardians of rich white boys and would walk them to the gymnasium because um, the men 
was so hell-bent on having trysts with little boys that they literally needed guardians to walk them from home to the gymnasium. And what was happening at one point in Grecian history was that some of the richer pedophiles would grease the palms of the pedagogues to give them easy access to boys. So you had literally their guardians prostituting them for money. This is Grecian culture. It's not me making this up. I wrote about it in the essay, but you can study it yourself. Just put, look, look up Greece and pedophilia, and, and you'll find that it was all pervasive in their culture. When you, find, when you go deeper into it, you'll find that they had an entire worship of the penis. They had um, all of the prostitute houses. They used to have these bricks, and the bricks would have testicles and penises that pointed in, in one direction. You would follow the testicles and the penises together, and they would follow, you would follow them into the actual houses of the whorehouses, the man whorehouses, where they, you could have sex with, with boys and with, with men. So this was their way of life. And what we're seeing today with the LGBTQIAP community is the same thing. It's just a modernized version of it, and now everybody's being forced to kowtow. Because like I said, having same sex has gotten more rights in 40 years than black people have gotten in 500. Sandwiches. And then you wonder why the number of black homosexuals has skyrocketed. Even Dr. Welch used to say that back in the days, and I remember this too. You might have had a couple of them in the neighborhood, but pretty much they were left alone. Sometimes they would be harassed and stuff like that, but for the most part, they were left alone. Nobody, no black people was really bothering them, running up on them or doing them harm and things like that. Not, nah, it wasn't like that. Well, they were just, just regular people though, you know? Right. They were just a part of the community, and, and they might have been, you know, laughed at sometimes because, you know, it's a man trying to play like he's a woman. They might be laughed at in certain circles, things like that, but they were not wholesale terrorized or harassed. And now you see the numbers skyrocketing because what? Homosexuals have more rights than black people. So if that's the case, well, they then terrorize just the like... community at some points, too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're terrorizing the community right now. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You were saying what nobody terrorizing them. It it never was. Like you say, it might be some some fun being made. Yeah, it'll be a one off situation uh, or something like that. Yeah. Because, you, you know, know, but it was. Go ahead. I, I was just saying, you know, they. That's just what it was. It made fun of them, but they was in the neighborhood just like everybody else. Did nobody did nobody look at them. It, either it was a boy or it was a girl. But they had they way about that, and you know, we we seen them. It, it wasn't it. it was probably, I probably and you got five I, gay people growing up. And I just want to put this out there: we forget that a gay man is still a man. And the worst thing in the black community is for you to harass a gay man and get your face cut or get your behind kicked. Because you will be the laughing stock of the community as long as you lived in that community. Like, remember when that step so and so kicked your behind? Yo, he dragged you, son. Even in prison, they tell you that if you go to jail, you don't mess with the homos because the last thing you want because they think, oh, they soft, you know, they they homos, da da da. And then, but he's still a man, and some of these guys can really fight. So if you're in jail and you have a homosexual beat the living crap out of you, you become the laughing stock of the jail. Matter of fact. There was a, um, a well-known homosexual in Harlem called Mother Deer and another well-known homosexual known as the Preacher. Preacher in Harlem 
was the one who kidnapped Rich Porter's son and cut his finger off and did all the stuff we know about and paid in full. Mother Deer was a gangster. Both of them was gangsters. They, was some, they were the most notorious gangsters in Harlem, and they were known for kidnapping, murdering, you name it, but they were homosexual. And Preacher was known, if you crossed him, to beat the crap out of you, knock you out, rape you, and then kill you. And he started doing that in jail, too. And Mother, Mother Deer was known for boxing with dudes. He would, he would just put up the, give you the one-two, knock you out, and rape you while you were knocked out. These are facts. Anybody who know Harlem for real and, like, old-school Harlem, you know Mother Deer and you know Preacher. Preacher's reputation precedes him, and that's what he was known for. If you violated and he thought you violated, he will knock you out, rape your rectum, and then kill you. And Mother Deer was known if you had beef in jail, he would beat the living crap out of you, knock you out, and rape you while you were knocked out. So if you weren't homo, he would pretty much violate you. So that's what I mean when I say, like, we forget that these people are still men. They're men. It's just like a lesbian is still a woman. She might act like a man, but she ain't as strong as a man. And if a man wanted to violate her and rape her, he could do it to her like, like he would do it to a non-homosexual female because she's still a female. So this is what I mean when I say that literally they are psychosocially conditioning us to accept insanity as normal. And again, this has nothing to do with hating these people or disrespecting them or that they deserve to be abused or mistreated, but we're not thinking straight. Sanity is being called insanity by the insane people who run the system, and we are all being forced to deal with and tolerate and live in the sickest system ever developed in human history outside of Rome. That's why the U.S. is is, is directly tied to Rome, because everything that was happening during the collapse of Rome is exactly what's happening now in this country. For the first time in human history, you have children in kindergarten and first grade being taught about homosexual so now, and they're, they're propagating all these ideas about there's, you know, 5, 10, 15 genders. I know in Brazil there's like 26 different genders. There's only two genders, male and female. And then there's people who deviate from that, thus the term deviant, and then there's people who don't. So we're lying to ourselves, we're lying to the children, we're lying to the public, and everybody's supposed to go along with this because these people got all these rights that now science is saying it's a choice. But you can find videos from a year ago to five to ten years ago where they're saying it's not a choice. Why would I choose this? This is a horrible life. No. You can decide to have sex the normal way or you can decide to have sex in an abnormal way. And I don't even call it sex because it's not really sex. Sex is between a penis and a vagina. Anything else is not sex. And when you go back to to, to, to people like the barbarians and the Vikings who used to use rape as a weapon, when they would take over a town, they would rape all the men in front of their women because if they got the men out the way and they emasculate them, then the women know that they got no hope. If my man can't even protect his butthole, how is he going to protect me? Which is exactly what was done to our ancestors on the buck-breaking farm. They would gang rape the strongest, biggest man in front of his, put his children and his, his woman front and center, and usually two to 300 other things around them and rape them in front of everybody. So they're like, oh, any of y'all want to act up and act like a man and act tough, this is what's going to happen to you. 
And then you have all these black males and females who are living in the world where gay people have gotten more rights in 40 years than black people got in 500, and you wonder why all these black gay people are propagating the homosexual lifestyle over the fact that they're being terrorized because they're, being, because they're black people. And then again, the genetic study says 75% of homosexuality and homosexual behavior is driven by environment. So the environment is being created for black males and females to be epigenetically shifted in a direction of I'm homo. And like uh, Neely Fuller said when he was young, and something that I still see to this very day as a working person, the only black people that get promoted to supervisory positions or higher in corporations are homosexuals. And I've seen that personally. There was one job that was just, it was incredible. There was only one black person who wasn't homosexual. She was an assistant to an executive. All the other black people that were supervisors in, in, in our department were male and female homosexuals. Not one was heterosexual whatsoever. All the heterosexual people were at the very bottom rung of the soda pole. So that's where you see the same way racism is systemic, the Grecian model of anti-sexual culture is just as systemic. And they got laws backing them up. So they're like the new, the new Jews. You can't say nothing about them or your life and your career is ruined. And now, if you even talk about them on Twitter, you might get arrested for trolling. And that just came out today. And in Canada, if you don't call your child what they want to be called, if they're claiming to be transgender or homosexual, whatever you want to call it, they will remove that child from your house, citing child abuse, because you refuse to call them by the proper gender pronoun. What in the heck is the world coming to? That's the reason why Mugabe said we are not trying to accept new legalities placed on us with these lifestyles. We are not gay. And when you listen to the whole thing, he didn't speak about mistreating them. He didn't speak about disrespecting them. He didn't speak about doing anything to them. He just said, we're not going to normalize this because this is anti-our culture. This is not who the heck we are as a people. And when you go into those societies, just like over here, those groups make up less than half of 1%. But the way that it's propagated in the news, you would think 50 to 75% of the population was gay. And that's why I was saying Eventually, it's going to be outlawed to have heterosexual relationships because that's what it seems like. To be heterosexual, proud, and speak about it, you're going to be attacked by them, and you can't do anything about it. It's already been happening for a long time now, and it's going to get worse because they are now psychologically terrorizing everybody. Even white people aren't immune because the woman who got arrested for trolling a transgender was white. So that's the new cancer in American society, on top of all the other cancers we have going on in American society. So it, it's, really, <laughs> it's really, really something else. I mean, there's really no words in regards to what that, what this situation has become and is becoming. And it's funny because just to speak about what we talked about earlier, in regards to anti-blackness in America, anti-blackness on the continent as far as South Africa is concerned, 
There was an article I was going to get into, but I didn't have the time to get into it tonight. But it was from ancientorigins.net, and they talked about the fact that um, in the Amazon, with all of the destruction of their land that's going on right now, that warring indigenous tribes, these were tribes that were wholesale killing each other for generations over resources, land, things like that, have come together, all of them, to fight what the burning and the destruction of the Amazon. So in less than a couple of, in less than a month, because the fire has been, like this story started roughly about a month ago, maybe give or take a week or two, right? But in that time, the damage that's being done to the Amazon made these people who were warring for generations, this ain't new. These Amazonian tribes have been killing each other with poison darts and bows and arrows for generations. But in one month's time, they were able to put their beef aside and they have collectively come together to fight what's being done in the Amazon. And black people can't come together in 500 years in the U.S. and in thousands of years on the, on the continent of Africa to do a damn thing about white supremacy. So you mean to tell me that indigenous people are so intelligent that they're able to do that in less than a month? They, they reverse generations of hatred of other people who look like them? to come together and black people are talking about immigrants are stealing our jobs and they're taking our identity and all the other craziness that I'm hearing. Why is it that it's only black people that think and behave this way? We can say, yes, nobody else is going through what we've gone through collectively, but that's no longer an excuse. If those people can put that aside, they're generational beasts with each other because their land is being destroyed at an astronomical rate, which is going to take 20% of the oxygen, which is produced by the Amazon, off of the planet permanently. And we can't even come together around solving the race problem. By just being cohesive, supporting each other, supporting black business, and treating each other with black self-respect. It says a lot. I mean, think about it. Just a week ago, you had $65 million in advertising generated in 24 hours by chicken-loving Negroes, butter-biscuit-loving black people. And we can't come together to support Black Talk Radio Network, Black Junction, or any other, you know, set of black people doing something constructive for our people. We can't, we don't give them a dime, but we'll give $65 million of advertising overnight overnight to Popeye that's owned and run by a pale face, but yet on the TV screen, you got a black woman, come on over to Popeye. And you got indigenous people who have generations of beef like Crips and Bloods, and they're able to put that aside in less than a month. Less than a month to say, you know what? If we kill each other, there's going to be nobody left to defend the forest. We need to stop killing each other and deal with these invaders. But yet Tariq and Yvette Cornell and um, the other one who calls himself Black Hitler on, on YouTube and a whole host of other people, it's the immigrants, they're the problem. In South Africa, it's the Nigerians, it's the Ethiopians, they're the problem. Are you kidding me? And let's, let, let me just touch on something else. Because of what was happening in the Bahamas, they're sending the Red Cross to the Bahamas to provide uh, 
all kinds of vaccinations and whatnot. But it's not just in the Bahamas. They're going to a bunch of islands. They're going to Trinidad. They're going to a whole bunch of other islands to in- inoculate people. And just like Lance Gerb said and Renetta Jones said, do not Caribbean people within earshot do not accept any medicine or needles from the Red Cross. They got $6 billion to rebuild Haiti, and they only built six houses in Haiti. $6 billion, only six houses were built. Yeah, and they, those houses weren't worth a billion dollars. They got the right road, man, too, didn't they? At, they did, they did, did gold mines and stuff. That was facilitated, if I remember correctly, through Bill Clinton's, Hillary Clinton's brother. His, his company was deeply embedded in that, and I believe the Israelis had something to do with that, if I remember correctly, from some of the stuff I read years ago. But these are the same people who have propagated in Africa. These are the same people who spread Ebola under the premise of, you know, we're coming to help. So those Caribbean islands, if you have any historical understanding and perception, you will run as far away from those people as possible. And matter of fact, in the Congo, they're beating the heck out of them and kicking them out. Like the local people are beating the heck out of the Red Cross. They're like, you're the ones who put AIDS and Ebola to this place. Get the hell out. We don't want your medicine. So they're intelligent in Africa. They understand the history, and they're like, you're not doing this to us again. They are literally physically assaulting them and running them out of their town. And if the Caribbean, Trinidad, um, uh, Bahamas, I think Barbados, I don't know if Jamaica's on the list. I think St. Lucia's on the list and a couple other countries. If y'all are smart, y'all will beat the living hell out of the Red Cross and chase them the heck out of your town. Or if they knock on your door, don't answer the door. That's what you would do because they're probably bringing some horrible disease to you, and if you accept it, you're going to probably be sterilized. They're going to implant something inside of you, or they're going to give you some disease you can't get rid of. Like Malcolm X said, history provides the best reward for all research. And if you research the history of the Red Cross, you know that they are diseased in a handbasket waiting to infect each and every one of y'all. Because the white population is decimated and, and, and they're dying faster than they can reproduce, and the black population is growing at a rate of 65% globally. So we're making babies hand over fist. The next country to become the most populated country on the African continent, Nigeria, is today what Egypt was in the past. The next country that's set to do that, I believe it's by 2025, is Ethiopia. They're making babies like it's going out of style. (laughs) And they don't want black people here. They don't want us here. So those people in the Caribbean within earshot, them, me, brethren, them, back home, well, you better listen real close. You understand? You better run from the Red Cross, man. I ain't playing with you. I ain't making no skylock, eh? And I'll put it like that so you understand. Go ahead, Jenna. What was you going to say? Nothing, man. It's, it's, it's prayer time. Okay. Okay. We, we have to end. Okay. Um, thank you, everyone. I didn't. I thought we might have had some callers, but I guess uh, we don't. But well, I would just yeah, like to... Check the log first. Check the uh, call log first and see if anybody... Uh... Yeah, no, I see everybody's still muted. Nobody unmuted themselves at all. But I just wanted to... um, Just, man, tonight... 
tonight was a powerful night. Um, thank you all for staying with us and being with us because we started late, but we greatly appreciate everybody for spending your Tuesday into early Wednesday morning with us. We just had a lot of important things to discuss, and I think that this discussion about these particular topics were important just to give people perspective on a lot of different topics because there's so much happening. We can never touch on it all in one program. I think these were probably the top issues that needed to be discussed, um, especially with what's happening at this very moment. Things are changing so rapidly, and they're having such a, a powerful effect on the lives of black people, no matter where we may be on the planet. We're being affected by a lot of these things. So um, I just felt that it was important that we spoke about these things, give some context, and just really, really give um, some suggestions on how to um, mitigate those things. When it comes to the Red Cross, run. Go the opposite direction. Get the heck out of Dodge. Do not answer your door. Do not allow your children to get those shots. Do not trust them. Do not trust them. And, you know, the other subjects we talked about, I hope that we were able to provide some insight and some context, um, especially with um, the brother in jail who met the white supremacist, um, Bill Hughley and the mass shootings and all of that stuff, I think is very, very important because it's happening right now. And like I said, pretty much every week there's a mass shooting. There's a mass shooting every week. 40,000 people die a year from gun violence in the United States. Less than 10 die in Japan. But yet in the United States, they blame video games for everything. No, it's the guns and it's the psychopathology of the people who possess those guns. That's what's creating the problem. That and the and the the white supremacist uh, system that we've been under for the for the last um, since 1681, pretty much. That that sets the precedent for everything that we're seeing today, and they're just refining and refining and refining the terrorism that we're suffering under every single day. So we just need to figure out ways of mitigating that. I thought we had some some. Um, things to share in order to help people get a better handle on it if you're confused about those things, and then uh, just get some ideas on how to mitigate them um, on some of these different circumstances we discussed tonight. So I hope that it was something that um, was able to reach folks and was able to give context and give insight, and hopefully you got something constructive out of tonight's program. But, again, thank you for spending your Tuesday evening with us. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you. Um, did you have any last thoughts before we get to close out, Jenna? Uh, nah, I just want to leave you with this uh, this clip I got of uh, Riza Islam talking about something that we discuss quite often. Also, uh, okay. this vaccine bill uh, SB two seventy six. Yes, yeah, so we need to vote I'm gonna play that clip after you get done with the prayers to close the uh, show out tonight. Okay. And, uh, and I would employ everybody who uh, checks out this download to go and see that. SB 276. It's probably not in your town right now. I believe now. it's in California from what Rizal yes. Islam says, see, but they're going to spread it now. everywhere else. And pay attention to this. But uh, that's all I had. And I'm going to cue this up just as soon as you get done. Okay, no problem. Let's get into the prayer, and then we'll, we'll hit the clip and close out. Creator, we ask that you help us to remain patient, patient, patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us to remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places, each and every time that we are in contact with another black person. 
It has been time. Let's replace white supremacy with justice, ASAP. Let's end the prison industrial complex as well as human trafficking and the trafficking of young children. I am in the love of the all, and all love is in me. I am a part of the all, and the all is a part of me. I am one with the all, and the all is one with me. I can succeed as a part of the all and fail as an individual. I can be all that I wish in the all, as long as my wish is to stay in the all. I am never alone. The all is. I am. The all can. I can. The all does. I do. Once again, thank you all for spending your Tuesday evening with us. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And create a willing, we will see you next week, Tuesday. Peace and love, and one love to each and every one of you. Yes, peace and love to everybody that's listening to it tonight and those that will listen to it later. And just thank you for continuously joining us. We'll see y'all next week. Peace. Peace. Probably because I was raised right. I think that my parents said that we're supposed to support all nationalities, all religions. We're all supposed to stand together. So anyway, getting back to this girl in the parking lot, Risa just stepped up. This is why I want to tell this story again. And, you know, she says, you're an anti-Semite. I said, well, I have, you know, I have rabbis writing me, and, and they're asking me to fly out and speak to their congregations. So I don't think you have that right. And she says, well, do you have any black friends? I said, I don't know, does Louis Farrakhan or Risa Islam, the nation of Islam, count as African-American friends? I think it does. I sure think it does. So, of course, eventually she just sort of like ran off into a corner, as most of these people do. I guess, are we waiting to hear what the vote is? No? All right. Risa, you know what? Speaking of the support and one of the great... Um, human beings I've met in my life, and one of the powerful institutions that are behind this movement and are a part of this movement, speaking to freedom, speaking to the power of freedom, I want to invite Reese out here from the Nation of Islam. Oh, go, go, come on, come on, keep giving it up, come on, come on. You can do much better than that. This is so intimidating. I love it, Dale. I love it. I love it. I bring you greetings on behalf of the Western Regional Student Minister, Minister Tony Muhammad of the Nation of Islam, <laughs> who is the Western Regional Representative of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. And we recently, for many, if not most of you, came into the knowledge of exactly what is occurring with vaccinations and particularly the MMR and the hepatitis B as it pertains to how it affects black and brown people. And of course it wasn't delightful information. And Dale Bigtree, Michelle Ford, Lucy Cole, Brian Hooker, Wendy Silvers, these are some of our allies who brought this information to us because they were fearless. They were fearless. And when we received this information, we said, no, 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 wait a minute. You mean to, you mean to tell me in 20, I believe 15 at that time, you mean to tell me that the Tuskegee experiment is happening again? No, I'm sorry, say that again? 
Interesting. So we had no clue about this. And we said, wait a minute, we will not stand for this. You mean to tell me that between 2004 and 2014, there were zero deaths from the measles, but there were 108 deaths from the measles vaccine. Now, that's on the CDC website now. And according to the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, which most people know nothing about, there are many different adverse effects which occur to children, especially on the package insert of the MMR vaccine. And please correct me if I'm wrong. One of the side effects is death. Am I correct? And because of that, for some reason, I don't think I can trust that type of risk when it comes to my people. Is it true that 236% of black boys are affected more than Caucasian with the MMR vaccine? Okay, now you are bearing witness, so I know we know we are not crazy. You have all verified that we have absolutely...